Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is another edition of Flyers Daily. It is a Monday edition. The season is underway. The Flyers are 2-0. and And uh, Bill Meltzer joins us on this episode of Flyers Daily for a segment of Ask Billy. Read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Bill, how are you doing now that the season's underway? Are you finding your midseason legs yet? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. This was uh this has been a you know a great weekend, not just not just for the Flyers, but for Philadelphia sports in general. Um, you know, and and uh, been been getting you know been getting uh, you know not an overdose, but but a whole lot of hockey watching between the you know the Flyers, other games. Uh, the Phantoms had a back to back this weekend, so it's uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. It's the confluence of all the sports at the same time. Like in the summertime, yeah. you have baseball only. Then at this time of year, if your baseball team goes to the playoffs, you have playoff baseball, which is fantastic drama and, and tension. You have the NFL season, you have college football, and then you have the NHL season starting. It's this confluence of all these great things happening at one time. It's so much fun. And I was really interested to because John Tortorello was asked about in a game on Saturday night, they put the Phillies up on the big screen. They actually, picture and pictured it and he was asked about it and the Flyers actually scored right after they ended the game yeah, yeah. but I was really I really liked what he had to say that you know you see that those things happening when a team is actually doing something we got a long way to go a lot of steps to take to get there but that's why you play and I love that message oh yeah you know and uh I mean you you couldn't help but get caught up in the excitement of it you know even if you're not particularly a baseball fan or a Phillies fan um, I, and you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, like Kevin Hayes is a diehard Red Sox fan and you have to forgive him for it. Cause he's from Boston. That's the team that he's always loved. Um, you know, but he, even he, you know, it's like, well, this is the, the sports city. And, you know, when one of the teams wins, it's, it's a really exciting time. And, uh, you know, it's something, something for us to aspire to, which I also thought was a great answer. Yeah. It, it, it becomes, it spreads like, like some kind of not like a virus or anything, but it's enthusiasm spreads. And, you know, sometimes a rate, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. So that brings us to the flyers and we're going to get to a bunch of ask Billy questions initially. And Bill last week on, I think it was Thursday, the day of the opener, I kind of went through my predictions for the flyers end of season awards, kind of in parallel with the NHL awards. And I, and I said in that episode, I thought it was paramount that Travis Konechny get back to 1920 Travis Konechny and that he'd lead this team in so many ways on the ice, off the ice by assuming a lot of that leadership with the void of Giroux and Couturier not being in the lineup right now, uh, but that he would be poised to have a very big season and he would be the team's MVP. The start he is off to, and it's not just about the three goals or the assist, which was an incredible assist to Scott Lawton, which we'll get to more in depth in a second, but it's every other element of his presence on and off the ice right now. He looks like a settled guy and a guy that's really answering the bell here to have a good season. Yeah, for sure. And there, that's why there's reason for optimism that this is something you can, you know, sustain over the course of a season and not just be a, a fleeting you know, blip on the radar screen. Um, Cause three years in a row, actually he's had, good starts of the season. That's to be, those will be four years in a row. Um, so, you know, the first three to five games of the season, even the first nine games a year ago, he was on an offensive tear. Um, and then it kind of faded in the woodwork, you know, for the rest of the season, he struggled. So, but if you go back to 2019, 20, that was, 
he was able to sustain it essentially until the pause. But this, this is this has been one of the best all around starts I've ever seen him have. Um, he's killing penalties. He's in phenomenal shape. I probably I would say easily the best shape of his career. He looks it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, there's just a there, as you said more settled. There, there's a maturity level that seems to be there, and, and a determination level to. You know, the start of the season, the start of the of camp, Chuck Fletcher said, well, we have to find out, is he a 50-point guy or is he a 70-point guy? And Travis tackled that question. He said, I, I believe I can be a 70-plus 70, 70 point guy. And so far, he looks it. You know, you, you can't go by a two-game sample size, but I think I think just the overall demeanor and presence that he has, the speed that he's he's playing with, Going going to scoring areas. That's that's one of the biggest things too, is that rather than drifting out to the perimeter, which was kind of where he his game went for a couple of years, you know he, uh, he he's getting getting the scoring and he's playing with just so much pace and speed and yeah. has his head up all the time. Um, he you know he, he's making plays, playing playing with positive emotion. He's not. He's not getting himself goaded into, into situations that take him off his game. Um, you know, he's always, he's always, it's always been the kind of the two-way street a little bit with Travis. Is that he can get other oppo- under opponents' skin, but you can get to him too. Mm-hmm. So you know, so 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 far, he's been fantastic. And yeah, I, I think I think it's pretty imperative on a team that doesn't have a lot of high-end scoring that that he be play at a Bobby Clark Trophy kind of level for. Over the course of the season, if he does that, they'll they'll be a team that, that's in better shape. The only caveat to that again being it's a two game sample size. So let's just just let's see let's how it can... a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- let's talk about the play that he makes to Lawton. He's got three goals. He scored one kind of on the rush and used the defender as a little bit of a screen. And you know he, he scored a couple of different ways now, but and, and a big goal obviously to mount the full comeback against Vancouver. But the play he makes to Scott Lawton. You know, you're shorthanded. He's out there killing penalties, as you just alluded to, which unto itself is kind of a, well, really. And, you know, Lawton slips behind the Vancouver defense in the middle of the ice bill. And uh, maybe nine, 99 times out of 100, you're trying to get that puck to him. You're going to force it up the middle. Vancouver collapses both D and take away the center lane. But Konechny, the game is slowed down. I called it a 200 IQ hockey play. Because he throws an area pass off the sideboards that Lawton can just skate into. And then Lawton, who I think nine times out of ten is a, is a Deke guy, spot picks his spot and goes high glove and just wires one for the goal. And I looked at that play and I'm going, man, that's a guy who's really confident and not forcing anything. He's taking what's given to him. Just a great play by Konechny on that one to get the game tied. Oh, absolutely. And you said he, he read that the middle wasn't there for him. And he said mm-hmm. after the game, he was probably going to go up the middle. Yep. Then, then he realized that, hey, the bank pass is there. And, uh, and he delivered it perfectly. It was, it was right to where Lawton could grab it and go in. And you know, Lawton's, Lawton's go-to play on the breakaway is forehand, backhand, slide through the five-hole. Yeah, open so, them up. Yeah. And, and uh, this was this – this one was scored upstairs. And that uh, – that, you know, it, it caught Demko a little, little, little by surprise. Uh, you know, and it caught, 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 caught a lot of people by surprise because it, it's just so such an automatic move with uh, with Lawton, and he it, it was like he he had decided 
he decided as soon as he grabbed the puck that he was going to go upstairs if he could with it. And, you know, obviously it worked and it was, it was a huge play. And just, just the, uh, just the emotion level on the team to, to pull even in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, last year it was pretty automatic that if the Flyers crowd one nothing and league wide, right? The team that scores first is going to win 70 to 75% of the time. So, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like it's automatic for teams to come back or, or even even the best teams are way over 500 if they get scored on first. But the, for the Flyers last year, one nothing was almost a death sentence for, yeah. for over the course of the season. So to have two games, you know, one with the very briefly trailed one nothing, the other they trailed 2 nothing despite being significantly the better team in that first period. And that a year ago, that that is something you would worry about. If they had a period where they, they come out two down two nothing, they had several power plays, they weren't able to score on them, and um, I think they held Vancouver to four shots for the period, and two of them ended mm-hmm. up in the net. Um, yep. So one those, shot those inside the dots. For, yeah, yeah, yep. and, and it's a recipe for a game that gets away from you. And maybe if it gotten to three nothing, maybe it would have. You know, Carter Hart really had no margin for error after that. And he was, he was phenomenal after it. He, better, I thought, than in, in the first game. Um, you know, and the two goals that were scored yesterday, one of them was a deflection. It was a deflection off of uh, Nick Steeler's skate. And the second one, and Tortorell said afterwards he didn't think they were going to win the challenge if they challenged it. I don't know. I thought the Flyers did have a challenger. Carter Hart was absolutely bumped at the net, and that, that really – Threw him off the threw him off the save opportunity there. That was yeah. that, that was a really tough one for any goalie. So, you know, uh, other than those two, and it, it just kind of stunk that those two goals were scored the first three shots, and um, they would have other otherwise been stoppable. Um, it, again, it's a recipe for games that got away from them in the past. Now, you got to keep showing. You got to keep proving it. One, you know, two games, one week less than a week even, I, it's not a sample size. You go, okay, there's been a change. But I, I don't know when the Flyers won their second game last year when they were when they were trailing. So it, uh, it was, it's it's nice. It's something to build off of and, and see where it goes. Bill, they only won two games when trailing going into the third period all season long, 235-4 and four last year. When leading, it, we know how bad they were last year when leading going into the third period. 14, 1, and 3. Now, they weren't leading going into that third period. They got the third period goal from Konechny to win it. Uh, but that's pretty indicative that if you head into that third period with a lead, you got a real good chance of winning the hockey game. Uh, let's talk about Carter Hart real quick because, like you said, Bill, he gives up two goals on the first three shots, only four shots in the period. He's a high-volume goalie. He likes to touch the puck quite a bit, too. And I was really wondering how he was going to bounce back. I thought maybe, okay, adrenaline maybe wore off a little bit here in Game 2. Didn't play at all in the preseason. We may see some of that rust uh, show up in this game, but he showed up in that second period. And I don't know what he put in that right leg or that right pad, but it made four unbelievably huge saves when it was 2 nothing. put them in a position to cut it in half and then eventually get it tied in that period. He has shown a lot of resilience. And I know Torts has talked about the way he has worked at practice and the way he has come into this season. You saw it in the standard episode four, the way that he has worked and grinded. Uh, he really is ready for this season. The environment does seem a little bit better, and they seem, especially in the Vancouver game, to defend less. 
And all of those things could be hugely beneficial to Carter Hart and whoever's in the net, whether Tim or Felix Sandstrom, who was just returning now from injury. Yeah, they're the beginnings of a much improved process in place. And I know that I know that if you look at some of the underlying numbers, especially from the Devils game, you go, oh, well, what's the, what's really the difference? Well, the dif- difference is that as the Flyers are setting a tone for the game, the process is actually really, really good. Um, I, I know, and this may be one of the Ask Billy questions, but it, it, it was uh, as five-man units, they're playing a lot better. The puck mm-hmm. support has been way better. Um, the way that they've moved the puck out of the zone has been a lot cleaner. Now, you know, has it been perfect? No. There have been dips. There have been times when they, they've gotten hemmed in. Um, and, and stretches of games where that has to that has to improve. But I think on the whole, in both games, they, they, they've definitely started to adhere to, again, again playing, playing as five-man units. It's so, such a big thing in today's game anyway, that uh, you had the puck support behind you, defense been up on the play, um, guys back-checking so that you're not getting outnumbered in your own end. So even, even in stretches – even in stretches of the two games where they've been hemmed in a bit, it seems to me most of it's been kept to the perimeter. Um, and there were, I mean, there were some tough saves for hard in, in the second game, particularly. Uh, but, you know, but it, it doesn't spiral from there. You, you get, you get the save that you need and it seems like they get back on the horse. So, you know, they, I, I think they deserve to be two and oh, um, you, Again, you have to prove it over a much longer sample size than two games. But uh, I think that the the early steps are where you would want them to be because you're not going to reinvent yourself overnight. And it, it, it's encouraging. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what will happen as this next road trip happens. Uh, these are three tough really tough, yeah, three really tough games coming up, and I don't know what the outcomes of those games are going to be. But uh, I, I would say that continuing to build off of what they did would be a, be a great step towards coming away from some points from those games. No question about it. it. I mean, tough trip. You got Tampa and Florida in back-to-back days. The Florida two-step, you get the, the Lightning on uh, Tuesday, and then you get the Panthers on Wednesday. Then you got a couple of days off before you take on Nashville Saturday, then come back home on Sunday. It's going to be a busy week of hockey. Let's get to the Ask Billy questions. Hashtag Ask Billy uh, on Twitter. And Greg uh, Cellini tweets in and says, it can't be easy doing what you guys do, especially the last few years with all the negativity. He said, how fun has it been so far to cover and talk about a couple of solid and entertaining games instead? Pretty positive start considering some of your best players are still out. And I think it's a great point that he makes at the end there, Bill, is this is without Cam Atkinson, who is probably the most gifted scorer on the team. And it's without Sean Couturier, I think the team's most important player that's not wearing goalie pads. Sure. And also now without Tippett, they had Tippett for less than – a little less than one period of a yeah, set of six point. so far. Uh, a guy that guy they're very much counting on to emerge as one of the goal scorers on the team. So and th- that's been extremely impressive, especially without Katoria. You, you can only do that for so long, you know, uh, as your depth gets tested. But I, I think that I think it's really been that uh, you know it's such a cliche to so say total team effort. It really is. But on the other hand, they've been They've been getting contributions from players on, on different lines and at different moments, and that's really that's really the whole key is that it, it's uh, it's been Atkinson and or rather it's been it's been connecting in both games so far, um, but both halves of the top pairing have been tremendous 
in the first two games. Mm-hmm. That was one of the must-haves of the season. They had the click. Long, long haul, we'll see. But but short term, the immediate results have been really good. Um, you know, Ristolainen is out, so you have Braun elevated to the second line, playing to uh, playing with Sanheim, and um, you know, and then you see how the how the third pairing comes along. But so so far, they've looked like a team that that uh, understands understands that there's a way that they have to play. There's a work ethic that they need to show consistently. And it, and it's very much been there those first two games. So that's really how I think they did it with without all those key pieces in the lineup. But they should be they should be a better team when Atkinson gets back, and, and certainly when Katoria gets back. It'd be nice to have a little bit of a timetable on on those guys, especially because Cam went from day to day to well he's going to start the season to now he's out the first two games, and now doesn't seem to be any prediction as to when Cam will be in there. He, I think he's going to need some practices. There's going to be one practice before they before they go on the Florida trip, it's kind of, it gets harder and harder and harder missing, missing a preseason and having not practice to jump right back into a lineup. So I'm not terribly optimistic for at least the first game, the game in Tampa, hopefully, hopefully he practices tomorrow and, you know, they would get, get some work in in Florida so that it's a relatively short absence, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. That's the, that's the variable we didn't know. One of the big questions that we didn't know about Bill was that top pairing that you just alluded to. Both Tony D'Angelo and Ivan Provorov have ended up on the score sheet in both the games. And Provorov, you know, notched 10 block shots in that first game. Ten, I think he had seven shots on goal in game two. And, you know, the, the notion, Bill, a lot of times is, you know, coming into this season, oh, the team's not going to be good. They're going to stink. They don't have anything good. And because you tend to lop everybody in with what's going on over the past two years. Well, make no mistake about it. Ivan Proroff is a really good hockey player, and he's shown it. And that pair has come together. So Jim Collar tweets in and says, how do you feel about the Pro-V, Tony D pairing looking so far? He said, I really like how Tony D has looked moving the puck on the power play. Go Flyers. And Gert Frobe also tweeted and said, will Tony D'Angelo be a better partner for Proroff than Niskanen was? This team still has not recovered from his retirement. I think Tony D'Angelo was a very underrated acquisition and may fill that void. He is a guy, Bill, that played top pairing last year. With Jacob Slavin in, in Carolina, he's defended a little better than I, I thought actually early on here as well. But I've seen some really good chemistry plays in their D zone, dropping pucks off, yeah. being a release valve in the face of a four check. And those two seem to have developed a little bit of chemistry out of the gate, despite only playing one preseason game, which is John Tortorella put it, they stunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and D'Angelo seems to very quickly be catching on to how and where um, – Provorov wants the puck, and the biggest thing—the biggest thing with Provorov—is that he wants to know where his partner. I mean, and any defenseman does. He wants to know where his partner is going to be, and, and how he's going to make a certain play, and he can adapt accordingly. And both of them can think the game, uh, especially in transition, at a pretty high level. And that the transition game is an area that's been, I think, lacking a little bit in, in Provorov's game. I think in part because. It, you don't want to put it all on his partners because he has to adapt to them. But I, and in part of it, I think it's been a little bit of unpredictability or an inability in certain cases for his partner to get him the puck where he wants and, and for him to wheel up ice. And I also think Provorov just has a he has a real determination to put last year and the year before that to, to a lesser degree behind him. I mean, 10 block shots in the opener was phenomenal. Five hits and just making really smart, solid plays. And I, I think that part of that comes with 
having a partner he, he's already developing a, a communication and a trust relationship with on the ice. So I, I think I don't think you can underrate that. And that, that's going to, that's only, that's only going to grow and, and, and be a bigger and more important thing as the season goes along. Um, so that, that to me has been probably, probably the most, one of the most top three or four most pleasant developments over the, over the first two games is that, uh, is that after playing together so little in, in the preseason and the first game, didn't go well for anybody, but but that pair being near the top of the list, for them to gel the way that they have in these first couple games, absolutely a great sign. Yeah, I mean the power play's got two goals and a goal in each game as well. I mean this is this doesn't feel like last year's Flyers in a lot of ways. That uh, John Burner tweeted in and said, "Is it just me or is D'Angelo a better uh, defender than advertised?" And he's, he's looked pretty good so far, and a lot of that's going to be dependent on on a partner. And you know he looked like a pretty good defender last year in Carolina. Jacob Slavin handles a lot of that heavy-duty stuff in the D zone, allowing Tony to be who he is, and that's a good thing. You alluded to this question earlier, Bill. Vasily tweeted it and said, at Flyer It Up, and he said, uh, thoughts on the Flyers play as a five-man unit to this point. Small sample size, but from my perspective, easy to see the Flyers are supporting one another in all three zones more effectively. Positioning is better. Forwards have been helping on the D on the back check. Keep up the great work, guys. So, uh, I mean, I look at it, Bill. You know, there's a lot of similarities to AV's system on the forecheck. There's a little bit more scissoring of the forwards, you know, turning in, you know, not peeling to release pressure on the forecheck, but kind of peeling into it. And it's kind of worked for them a little bit. But the puck support to me has been the biggest thing. And denials at the blue line, they're much yeah. tougher to obtain the zone against yeah. than they were in the last couple of years, not even close. Oh, no, no question. Their, their neutral zone has been really good. And, yeah. the forward, and that's the why you can deny the blue line, because you, if you play the neutral zone right now, you can deny it without putting yourself at, at risk. Precisely, precisely. And if you put your defenseman into a position where they're attacking, you know, they're, they're cutting through the neutral zone speed and you have no choice but to back in. Yep. That's then that's been such a characteristic of the team, a negative characteristic for a while. You even go back to portions of the playoffs and after uh, after the stoppage, because the Flyers had, had gotten to a point, I thought those few years ago when they had the that breakout season, they were really good at preventing entries and, and getting back up ice and and knowing, um, you know, knowing the puck support was going to be there. And if they were in the defensive zone, there wasn't going to be some easy lane to to a backdoor kind of goal because you know the, the forward the, the winger has his has his, has his point man covered so. All of that, all of that, and in all three zones, D zone, the support's been there, and the offensive zone, they forechecked well. They, they're better so far. At least they've been better on the boards, um, you know. And, and different lines at different times. We haven't even really touched on the uh, JVR Frost and either Allison and for part of the first game, and then Lazinski for the other half of the first game and, and the second game. Um, so the, different lines at different times, but. Um, you know, I think that I think that that's a that's been a big big element is that uh, if somebody loses a puck, there's there's another another layer of defense behind them, and and getting up ice, uh, there there's better pressure, there's better puck pressure so far. So uh, that's that's a recipe for improvement for sure. You want to defend less, make it tougher to get in your zone. Yeah. <laughs> defend yeah. better in the neutral zone, you'll defend less. It's no it's. One leads to the other. Uh, notorious P.I.G. at Bubonic Pig. I'm not sure I'll keep up with that handle, but I love it. He says, how long before we can have a good read 
on process versus results. He said, I'm looking at 20 games before I become too overly optimistic or conversely pessimistic about this team. I think 20 games, 25, 30 games is a decent sample size to see what they are. We can start to see some trends and consistency. Two games is obviously way too early. Uh, but to me, it's around that yeah third of the season mark is where I start to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's both offensively and and defensively. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, and I think that's fair. I think you have to go through a couple road trips, go through a little adversity, see how you bounce back. There, there, there's just things that you learn over over that period of time, over six weeks, whatever, two months, that, that'll tell you a lot more than any very small sample size. It's, as, much, as much as when you've won your first two, you'd like to think that's going to be that way all year. Obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of tests to come. So I think 20 games 20 games is a is a is a fair estimate for how long how long do you have an idea of what your team really is? Yeah, the the good the good stuff they're doing well, the stuff that they need to improve on, and where the warts are. You can always you need a little time to to get to that point though. At uh, Flyers and Hoagies, two things I love tweets in and says he said I've loved what I've seen so far, but how much of games one and two is a a, a, a byproduct of them being better conditioned? Should we expect a drop-off as the rest of the league plays back into shape? Do we need to wait until Florida matchups are done to really assess if we're solid? I think we have to wait far longer than the Florida matchups to determine that. Uh, But as far as conditioned, you know, Bill, a lot was made, obviously, of torts, no pucks on the ice for that first practice and really skating them hard. He actually peeled back on a lot of his conditioning stuff in camp because so many guys were banged up. And there's a lot of guys in this lineup that didn't get a lot of game conditioning coming in. so. I, I don't know that I would buy into this. They're way more guys came in in great shape. The Cates brothers, Wade Allison, TK, a lot of guys. Pro Ross always in shape. When he's not in shape, he's in shape. And all of them came in incredibly well conditioned. But I don't think this is a byproduct of them being conditioned and the rest of the league not. This is not 1982 where you come into camp and get in shape in camp. You're in shape when you show up in the NHL. You have no other choice. Yeah, for sure. And and a lot of a lot of the conditioning element in, in the early part of camp was as much a mental test as a physical um, even even in a best case scenario uh, a conditioning advantage uh, it's you know it's, it's a one percent a two percent advantage but I think it shows up more later in a season truthfully than the beginning um, I, I don't think there's so much a conditioning difference between teams as you know h- how much time I think you have to have productive practices. I, I do believe that you you play how you practice, and the Flyers did have the benefit of having really long stretch between their last preseason game and the regular season opener. I think that really helped. Um, not not only to start working, actually working in their systems, but also in terms of just, just working working certain things out on the ice. I think I think that's played out more than the conditioning side of it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it was eight days between games and that gave him a lot of luxury to be able to really plan and regiment out those days to head into a season. I think you'll start to see more teams trying to get their preseason slate out of the way a calendar week in advance of the the puck dropping, playing the last preseason game four days, three days before your season. So I don't think that's a good recipe. Um, Stagger Lee, my buddy Eddie already tweets in at OC Stagger. He says, what does uh, the Sandheim extension mean towards the future of the Flyers' defense? He said, seems to block Cam York. Of course, Sandheim plays the left side. 
uh, left shot guy. Provorov plays the left side. Igor Zamula plays the left side. First of all, what did you think of the contract, Bill? You're looking at uh, a big, big extension here, long-term commitment to the player. I think the price was only going to go up, especially because Mackenzie Weger signed and Sanheim was going to be at the top of that list. I think you, you get him now for that price, and as the cap rises, that's going to look more and more uh, like a good uh, you know, value contract for the Flyers going forwards. But does it have some effect on Cam York and you know the ability to get into the top four defensive positions? Well, that uh, that makes for competition, right? Competition yep. is always, always, always good. a good thing. Um, you know, I right right now I want to see Cam really play well for the Phantoms, get work work his way up to the floor. And, and if and if York is, you know, if you're in a position where Cam York is your third pair defenseman and he's blossoming and he's playing in the power play, that means you have three good pairings potentially, right? So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Sandheim is blocking anybody. Um, now, you know, right now Zamula has a chance to grab a job and run with it. But one thing with Zamula, long term, to keep in mind is that he's equally comfortable left or right. Um, mm-hmm. Sandheim played the right side before too, and he has has a degree of comfort with it as well. So, you know, the pairings you're seeing right now may not be the, the same pairings two years from now. Uh, you know, or or play guy that's right playing the same side. So. I, I, w- I wouldn't worry about that. And in terms of in terms of the signing, I you know I there would have been a pretty high replacement cost for Sandheim. A, B. I think part of part of the figuring when they re-signed Ristolainen is they really wanted to re-sign Sandheim. And you know I try to I try to just avoid getting into discussions about Risto just because he's such a divisive player. And if you're on the other side of the fence, you're not gonna, you're not going to convince. The skeptics, anyway, it comes I mean, like politics I, in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it, it really is. It, it, he, he's just, but he's just one of those players who's such a lightning rod and so divisive that um, you know, I just, I just prefer to discuss, you know, to discuss immediately how the recent games have been, and you know, and and, and those other kind of things. And some of the big picture stuff, it's just, it's just hard because it goes in circles, truthfully. Yeah. But uh, but but when they re-sign Ristolainen, and I, I do think. Part of that reason is they're going to try to get Sandheim resigned, um, and probably have that partnership run for a while. So, uh, of course, Ristolainen's another guy who has yet to yet to play this season. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think you know, thankfully, uh, Braun has played pretty fair amount with Sandheim over the years, so there's a comfort level there as well. Um, but I but I just think in terms of how the team wants to play, and you play fast. Playing fast is a big part of it. Sandheim has really good mobility. Um, and he, he carries the puck up out, uh, up ice well. I, you know, he may never he may never get to to a superstar level. You know that, that that's fair. Um, he may never get to the level of the guy who, in you know, in the Western League, led led the league in scoring among defensemen, and was up among the league leaders. And then with the Phantoms, always on the was on the power play. It's not looking like he's going to be as much of an offensive guy. I think. Even a couple of years ago, there was a hope. Hey, you know, Travis might be a forty-point guy in the NHL. Um, you know, maybe maybe he won't get there. He's not getting the power play time to get there, and he, he may never get that power play time. But when you when you look at the big picture of what he brings, um, I think he brings some pretty important elements of the team. And amid a really lousy year for the team year last season, he was the he was the no-brainer winner of the Barry Ashby Trophy. Yeah, and uh, he's he's a very important piece. 
if you if your one two punch on, on the left side is Provorov and Sandheim both playing close to their capabilities, you know, do you have a true number one? You know, what a, a true number one. If a true number one is a Norris Trophy winner, no, you don't. But if you, but in terms of two pretty solid players, yeah, I, I think you, I think you do have that. And it'd be nice, you know, if they're both playing at the top of their game at the same time, then then I think the outlook looks a lot brighter for your defense as a whole. So I think I think re-signing Sandheim was a a very important piece of the puzzle. And truthfully, also, Jason, it's not you're not having it hanging over their heads all season over Sandheim's head. Yeah. That, that it's done, it's over with. They they can plan their salary cap for a year from now. Um, you know, like JVR seven million is off the books mm-hmm. after the season. So, you know, I I think I think when you add up the positives and the one negative being anytime you sign a player for that long a term, a lot of things can happen, right? Yeah. Um, and if a play you you know in, injuries happen, all kinds of things happen. So they're they're there's always there's always an element of risk, but I think when you add the pluses and the minuses, and, and that uh, you you paid him, you know UFA market value, that's that's the deal. If you want to get a guy extended, then uh, you know then I then I think it's a I think it's a signing that made a lot of sense. Yeah, to me, he he's been identified as a player that's part of the solution, not part of the problem, and you know when you look at it, and this is a guy that's invested here. He was drafted here. He talks about that a lot. He's got a lot of pride to be here. And that's exactly what you want around, you know? You, yeah, you had to pay UFA money That's because he was up against it. So to me, you know, it is a long deal, and we'll see how it plays out. In a couple of years with that rising cap, you could have some real value there with a guy like Travis Sanheim, and he is a gifted skater. And so much of today's game is about being a gifted skater. He's got that. Uh, one more here, Bill. Let's get to this one from Dave Bergen. He tweeted it and said, uh, what are your thoughts on the leadership position of Scott Lawton that he's been put into? He said, I'd suggest that your C doesn't need to be the most talented player on the roster, but must be the one who plays the game the way you'd want the entire team to play. And that's what Lawton does. Um, he was the only guy to wear a letter. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I'm I'm a firm believer. The captain does not have to be your best player. I think that that's, that, that's been a notion, I think, for a long time with a lot of players because – um, a lot of times the best player is a great leader too, but it needs to be a great leader. And to me, their talent level is secondary to that. And I would have no problem if Scott Lawton was named the next captain of this team because I think he's got character in, in just buckets. Oh, no, no, no question. No question. And I, I've said this many years during training camps. If you had no idea who, who, who these players in the rosters were, you, you think that number 21 guy is a, is a bubble guy who's fighting for a job on the camp just because of how hard he works every single day. Um, you know, he takes nothing for granted. And, and then you get, you know, you get to know the, the player a little bit. He's so competitive. He, you know, and it's a player who really takes, really takes a lot of pride a in playing for the flyers, but B the the way the last few seasons have gone, it's it's you know it's been painful for a lot of people, but I, I don't think anybody anybody in that that room has taken it to heart more than Scott Lawton because that's a player who really cares and really wants to be part of a winner and part of and, and a piece of a winning team. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why he stayed a big part of the reason 
why, why he elected to stay here. Um, actually, I, I did a blog before the season about about the captaincy, and, and Lawton was my pick. Uh, and it does not have to be, as you said, the best player on a team. Uh, Dirk Graham was one of the best leaders of the last 30 years. He was never his team's best player. He was the best leader. Yep. Uh, Dave Poulin is probably the second best leader in Flyers history after, after Clark. Um, he won a Selkie trophy. He was a good player, 30-goal year, whatnot. I, you know, but was he ever the Flyers' best player? Probably, probably not. But, but he was a phenomenal leader, and he, he understood he understood little things too. Like somebody's new to the team, you know, Poulin always made him feel like he belonged right away. Lawton is so good at, at making rookies feel like they're they're part of the solution, making new players feel welcomed on the team, um, all, all those things. So. I mean that that's absolutely the the kind of player I think should be representing the team, and you know you also have the there's different ways to lead. It doesn't always have to be the guy with a rah rah speech or whatever. I think Lon is the guy who knows when to talk and what to say. So all, all of those things, the way he plays, the way he conducts himself, how he interacts with teammates, all, all those things, the competitiveness level, uh, representing the team and the community, all those all those ancillary things that go into the captaincy. The, the example that he sets, I mean, I, I think he'd be a, a tremendous pick. Yeah, I do, I do as well. I second that. And he's a good citizen for the city. He's a good representative and, you know, a outward face for the for the organization to its fans and to the media. Yeah, I, I can't think of, you know, I, I don't care if he's not the best player. That doesn't matter to me. That's not the job of the C. The C is not a point total. It's not a, how many goals you score. It's about how you lead and how guys – you know, follow you. I think that's really important. You know, Kevin Hayes is a guy I think that is off to a good start and and is a good leader for his team and a very outward, boisterous guy. You know, but to me, Lawton just it's it screams him in this situation, especially under this coach. I think that's the other part of it that I I, I lend into it as well. Great stuff, Bill. Great questions from everybody on Ask Billy. Always uh, great stuff on a Monday episode, and we'll be back tomorrow. We'll preview Flyers Lightning as we get ready for the first road trip of the season. Everybody, thanks for listening. Read Bill's work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, of course. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand new Flyers Daily.